and all of a sudden this voice says, take up and read. And he looks down, he finds the book and he remembers the words that Ambrose spoke to his mother years ago. He'll be saved by reading. He opens the book and he reads from one of the letters of St. Paul about how we should abandon the ways of the flesh and put our trust in God and that Christ will be our armour. And that washes over him and changes him. Faith at the Fringe, a Sanctuary First podcast series. Uncovering God in the creative arts. At the biggest international arts festival in the world, Sanctuary First stops to ask, where does faith and art meet? Welcome to Faith at the Fringe a Sanctuary First podcast series that seeks to engage with creatives and artists and musicians who come to the Edinburgh International Fringe Festival. I'm Albert Bogle, and I'm delighted to have with me on the podcast Stephen Callaghan. Stephen, you are the creative director of AGAP, which is, I think, the Archdiocese of Glasgow's arts project, but you're also a freelance playwright. So I'm really interested in having this conversation with you. I'm interested in the work that you're doing with the Archdiocese and the creative work that you're doing there, but also to come on to the play that you've brought to the International Festival. And so I thought we would have a conversation about that as well. But let's start off with just a little bit about yourself and tell us a little bit about the project as a whole. Thank you, Albert. It's an absolute pleasure to be here. Thank you for inviting me onto your podcast. Um, yeah, I'm, I've been working on uh, plays and other arts activities for the past 18 years under the auspices of AGAP. Um, we call it AGAP, but short for Archdiocese of Glasgow Arts Project, because we thought that was a bit of a mouthful for people to say. So it's been known as AGAP or AGAP over the past uh, nearly 18 years. And it really came about off the back of a couple of plays that I directed in my final year at Glasgow University um, when I was just about to graduate from the Department of Theatre, Film and TV. And the then chaplain, uh, who was Father John Keenan, now Bishop John Keenan of Paisley, asked me if I had ever read any of the works of the little-known Polish playwright Karol Wojtyła, now, many people will know him as John Paul II, or right. Saint John Paul II, Pope John Paul II. Um, and what people don't know is that he was a playwright, a poet, an actor, before he became a priest. And that at the time when he was producing plays, it was during the Nazi occupation of Poland. And, and these plays were put on um, by by. Catholics and Jews in Krakow working together to preserve their culture at a time of cultural oppression by a totalitarian regime. Now these plays, you wouldn't know that they were written by a priest. You wouldn't know that um, because they appeal to everybody. They're very philosophical plays because John Paul II was, was very much a, a philosopher pope. Um, but what happened was 
I was asked to, to stage one of these plays called The Jeweler's Shop, which deals with the subject of marriage. And it's not airy-fairy, it's not idealistic. It takes three distinct scenarios uh, of married couples. Um, and the first scenario is, is a couple whose marriage um, is impacted on by the war and the husband dies. Uh, so the, the evil of war um, breaks up the marriage. The second couple, um, they drift apart and it's the breakdown of communication that causes the separation of the couple. And the third act is a couple who are the children of those first two couples and the question of do they still believe in marriage enough to get married themselves and to go forward. And there's this mysterious character called the jeweler who is unseen but who kind of represents the voice of God, kind of represents the church, or does he? And um, it was through those plays that I was almost like a fish caught in a hook, drawn into this. And it was because what happened was that those four performances um, at Glasgow University sold out every night. The phone was ringing off the hook. The place was packed. And the people who were involved as actors and collaborators in those performances were from various walks of life, different faith backgrounds, including those who had maybe come from Northern Ireland and had witnessed the troubles mm -hmm. um, and the, for whom religion was, was a problematic thing. And also people who weren't really of any particular religious affiliation. But all of us found meaning and substance in working on that play. So this was this had such an impact on you. This was now going to impact the rest of your life. Then, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So how did so so you you finish these plays, you do them, and then what does someone come and say to you? Do you want a job? Yeah. Well, what happened was Archbishop Mario Conti, who had come to Glasgow, uh, he was first Bishop of Aberdeen, then he got translated to Glasgow in two thousand and two, and he saw that play which was in 2003, and he said to, to Father John Keenan, uh, who did the play? Um, I would like the, the person who did these plays to take part in a, an exchange with the Greek Orthodox Church. They've got a lovely amphitheater in Crete. I would like it if the Catholic Church could bring something to the Greek Orthodox Church and stage it in this amphitheater with young people. And I went away and, I, I mean, imagine, you know, being offered a trip to Crete oh, and yeah. getting pr to produce something in, in your early 20s. And I was like, wow. But I went away and I thought, do you know what? It's not enough. When did the voice of the church become a commentator in the arts? When did it become the moral watchdog on the arts? What exactly are we doing to be proactive and participatory? If the church is all about celebrating um, the arts and, and truth, beauty, and goodness, when do we hear the voice of the church saying, that's a good piece of art, let's celebrate that? And I thought, that's what we need to do more of. So it, I drew up a plan for this play in Crete. It was going to be a production of um, Hippolytus by Euripides, because it's got Christian themes, although it's a pre-Christian play. But I thought it's not enough, and I drew up a plan for the Archdiocese of Glasgow Arts Project. I didn't give it that name, but I presented it to Archbishop Conti. 
He says, um, and God rest his soul, he baptized both my kids, so I say this with love, but he said, he said to, when he told this story, he said, Stephen pinned me to the wall and said, you're not doing enough to support the arts. <laughs> I didn't pin him to the wall. I was pushing at an open door, and we met, and, and it was a meeting of, of minds, a meeting of kindred spirits, and about a year and a half later, I had went into a job at Glasgow Uni. I, I directed another play by Karol Wojtyla. Um, I was invited to take it to World Youth Day to Germany. Um, I, I was really thinking, what, is God, what does God want for me? And, and I felt God's hand on my shoulder because I'd also had an experience where I was, I, I, I was close to having my big break in secular theatre. And the play that I was presented with, I couldn't do because, um, well, it was a, a so-called comedy in which the, the, the actor slagged off Catholic priests in a very vicious way. And I, 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 I turned it down, refused to do it. Um, and I remember on that occasion actually, you know, trembling with trepidation at having to do this, to turn this down. I remember going into the gents and going into a cubicle and getting down on my knees and praying to the Holy Spirit saying, please, Holy Spirit, give me the right words. Give me the words to say that I'll, I'll be true to you, but that I'll, that I'll not offend anybody because I was worried about that at the time. Aye. You know, I thought this, this would be curtains for my career. But I came out and I said, I can't do the play. And I wish that the response I got had been as courteous and as thought through as what my, my explanation was. But, but this feeling of, of loneliness that I had that day in that moment when I was praying to the Holy Spirit, that feeling of loneliness of, it's, you know, I'm crying out to God for support here. I feel very alone. I never wanted anybody else to go through that. Now, I have no doubt that there are very many Christian artists out there in all different disciplines, theater, music, visual arts, literary arts, etc., who are very active in their faith and very committed Christians. But at that time, I felt like my back's to the wall here. God, what do you want from me? Mm -hmm. And then I applied for the priesthood. And it was on the day that I was photocopying my forums for the seminary applicants here that I received a phone call from the Archdiocese of Glasgow asking me if I would like to come and work with them to establish a project initially for a year that would embrace all of the arts as I had set out and would seek to encourage new talent, to celebrate what's already out there and to build up new things, harnessing talent from across the Christian community and beyond and engaging with those who are of no particular faith background. Um, through faith-based themes. So what a wonderful opportunity. Perhaps God's hand was on that whole situation. You know, what comes to my mind is that verse in the Bible which says, those who honor God, God will honor them. And and so you know, sometimes we step out in faith and we think we're going, to, we're going down one particular road and then God says, no, I've got other plans for you. Mm. It's much more effective. And so you find yourself now in charge of this opportunity to, to direct an art and to make a difference. And you've come to the Edinburgh International Fringe Festival with a play that you've written, mm. and it's about St. Augustine. Yes. So tell us a little bit about St. Augustine. Why did, why did you pick him? I think 
Augustine is a, a saint for today. I think he speaks to what we're facing today and what so many people are facing today. Um, off the back of the horrors of the pandemic, we are still in um, what a lot of people describe as a, as a mental health pandemic. Um, and I think Augustine is a, a character, if you want to call it that, albeit a real, a real life historical character, who was the first to really bear his soul in what is essentially the first autobiography in Western culture, the, the confessions. And what he does is he really lays bare his soul and says, look, here's my journey to faith and it's not pretty. So before you make a plaster cast statue of me and put me on a plinth and, and call me a saint, look at my life. You know, look at my life with all its ups and downs and its messiness and see what God did with me. And if God can do that with me, think what he can do with you. And I think that's what I wanted to, to show with this play because he's the quintessential sinner turned saint. He's the bad boy who made good. And he's a saint who's not only celebrated within the Catholic Church, but there are there are Augustinian Protestants, there are Augustinian atheists, there are Augustinian agnostics, because he made such a valid contribution to philosophy and to religion that it's hard not to engage with Augustine. Love him or hate him, it's hard not to engage with him. So I think that that's, um, that, that's why I chose Augustine. So it's a bit like you might say that story that Jesus told about the prodigal son, because he was brought up I believe, by Monica, who was his mother and was a Christian. And he kind of broke his mother's heart, didn't he? Yes, yes, he did. Um, yeah, Monica features in the play. It's, it's a solo show, and, and I'm performing the voices of the other characters as well as playing Augustine, or Augie for short, as I've called him. Um, but yes, it, it's been said that it was by Monica's tears and her prayers that Augustine came to God, um, and he had a father who was a pagan and a mother who was a Christian, and she almost got him baptized when he was a baby because he came close to death. But he rallied round and his dad persuaded his mum to leave it till he was old enough to make up his own mind. And infant baptism wasn't quite so common in those days. So um, it was more common to get baptized before death so that your sins were wiped away before you would meet God. Um, that was the thinking then. But Augustine um, went off the rails. He hit puberty. There's a story, which is in the play, where he went to the baths and his dad noticed that he had grown up physically. Right. He'd hit puberty. And at the age of 16, his dad sort of puts a fatherly arm around him and says, I'll tell you all about the pleasures of becoming a young man in society, about the joys of sowing your wild oats and having some fun. And he just explodes into this frenzy of hedonistic behavior. Now, how bad was he? I think we've exaggerated it a bit, probably, over time. Um, Probably, um, I mean, he, he talks about he had a mistress and he remained faithful to that mistress for 15 years. He also talks about when he and his pals would go out and they would get up to all sorts of stuff. 
but it was um, fashionable for them to brag to one another about what they'd done. And as he says in the play, even adding a few spicy details that weren't exactly true, but whoever let the truth get in the way, a good story, eh? as he <laughs> says in the play, because they, they, they were, it was fashionable to brag about things that you wanted to be the worst. So the sexual exploits of his friends, he touches on in the confessions, but he doesn't exactly say what he did. And I, I think that, that for those reasons, he can speak to um, young people today who are being pulled this way and that by a, a, a cultural ideology that's, that is very immoral, that's very sex-driven, um, that would tell you that uh, as long as you're not doing any harm, go and enjoy yourself, doesn't really matter. Augustine comes to this crisis point, though, where he has exhausted all of that. He's explored everything. And he's still empty. And he's still empty. He's, this restlessness he's yeah. talking about, he talks about in some of this famous quote, isn't it? You might, the, the soul is restless until it finds its rest in God. Yeah. So he had been in this restless situation. So you're, it's almost like a, you're seeing this as a kind of evangelistic testimony of sharing what happened to this great teacher and a great saint within the Christian church, one of the early church fathers, but how he came to faith. And how did he come to faith? What happened? So this, this was the other part that was really interesting for me because it begs the question, how does God communicate with us? And this is a question that I have asked in the post-show forum at every show that I've done up and down the country. And I've had some brilliant testimonies from people about how God has communicated with them. And what happened with Augustine was really interesting. He went out into a garden in Milan. Now, he had reached the, the pinnacle of his career. He was in a top job in Milan as a, a teacher of rhetoric, you know, and, and um, he's, you know, he's the master of public speaking. He's uh, working for the Roman Empire. Um, he, he goes out, but he's still empty. And his mistress has left him because he's changed. He's become a Christian and, and they don't fit together anymore. And he throws himself back into promiscuity, womanizing. And then he, he goes out into the garden feeling utterly wretched and carrying a copy of the letters of St. Paul with him. And the reason he's got that with him is one of them, he'd formed a kind of a, a community with his pals to seek out the truth about God, to live an intellectual life in a community. And one of them had left a copy of the letters of St. Paul lying around. And, a, and somebody came to visit them and noticed it lying on the floor and picked it up at dinner time and said, oh, I see you're a Christian. And he said, I'm trying to be. And he says, but that's the point. We're all trying to be. He says, you know, and he basically indicates the letters of St. Paul. And he says, you know, the saints are not perfect people. They're people who know their need for God and trust in his mercy. And he asks Augustine, are you baptized? And Augustine says, not yet. And this is the sucker punch to Augustine. He takes the letters of St. Paul and he goes out into the garden and he drops them at the foot of the tree. Now, all those years ago, when he was a young lad and Monica was crying for him, when his mother was crying for him, she went to the very famous, influential bishop, Ambrose, Ambrose, and said to him, 
will you please have a word with my boy? He's gone off the rails. You know, I want him to find God. I want him to find Christ. And, and Ambrose said, the boy is unteachable. But he will be saved by reading. He will come to the... He will come to know the error of his ways. He will be saved by reading. And these words flash through Augustine's mind when he's out in the garden. Now, what happened there? I have deliberately left open. And this is where I think the play speaks to the mental health crisis that we're in just now. I think Augustine, is a, he describes it that he's in the garden. He throws himself down at the foot of a tree. And he hears a sound like children playing. And then the sound comes back. He hears it a few times. He looks around, there's nobody there. And he starts to think, I'm having a breakdown. I'm stressed. I'm sleep deprived. And now I'm hearing voices. And all of a sudden, this voice says, take up and read. And he looks down, he finds the book, and he remembers the words that Ambrose spoke to his mother years ago. He'll be saved by reading. He opens the book, and he reads from one of the letters of St. Paul about how we should abandon the ways of the flesh and put our trust in God and that Christ will be our armor. And that washes over him and changes him. And do we need to believe that it was a celestial voice that boomed out of heaven? No, we don't. Does the play leave it open? Yes, it does. Does it need to be an external voice? No, it doesn't. It could have been a voice in his head. Mm -hmm. God could speak through any circumstance in our lives, even if it were, were to be a total psychotic break that brought Augustine to that point at which he fell totally into the arms of God's mercy. That is okay. And I wanted to show that he's a, a real flesh and blood saint who went through a wild youth. And yes, he, he, the thing that sticks in his head and that he agonizes over is he robbed a pear tree with his friends in somebody's garden. And that haunted him. This silly act. And it's silly to us. Mm -hmm. Went into somebody's garden and he picked some pears and they didn't eat them. They threw them at each other and spat them at each other. And But this was the start of a headlong rush into hedonism, into pleasure-seeking, into doing bad stuff. And then he comes full circle back to God with a penitent heart. And he still struggled. He still struggled right, right up to the end with himself, with bad dreams, with bad thoughts. Um, but... You know, Augustine's a person that I think people could relate to now. And whatever, whatever you've done in your life and whatever your past is and whatever you're, whatever you're going through with your mental health, whether it be de depression or anxiety, I think you can call on Augustine, look to Augustine for help because he went through a lot and he's... A doctor of the church. He's one of the, the saints that's revered across various Christian denominations. Um, and I think it's because he connects with our humanity. Yeah, I think it's a very powerful story, isn't it? And it's a story that can speak into all of our lives. I love that bit where you said, somebody said to him, you know, have you been baptized? And you know, I sometimes think in the church, 
we don't give people the opportunity to do things. And I still would love to do this before I die. I would love to take out an advert on buses around Glasgow and Edinburgh, getbaptized.com, you know, where people can maybe relive their baptism and maybe think, was I baptized? And when we're baptized, God's hand is on our lives. It's a promise. It's a covenant. It's God is at work in our lives and our family prayers and the you know that bit of the Bible in, in, in Isaiah where it says, look to the rock from which you were hewn and the quarry from which you were dug. You know, that somehow God works in families and in lives. And Monica's prayers were not discarded. And if we come and pray with an earnest heart, God hears our prayers. And so I'm just thinking the whole baptism thing is an interesting thing to, you know, somebody's being baptized, maybe reminding them of their baptism, that that call of God on your life as a child, it was brought on your life as a family. That's the rock from which you were hewn. You can't just walk away from it. Or is it a call to fulfill that wish of God? And that baptism is because our baptism is really isn't a confession of our faith. It's to say, this is where I stand. You know, I, I'm dying to self, you know, and under the water. And I know that there's been, a, again, a resurgence amongst people who have been not baptized as children, but come to faith and want to be baptized as adults. And sometimes they go out into the river and been baptized, dying to self under the water, and then rising to self into a new life. And of course, that's what happened to Augustine. He found a new life in Christ by the presence of the Holy Spirit in his heart. So you were telling me earlier on that when you take the play out on the road, and when you've been taking plays out on the road, there's an, uh, an opportunity afterwards for people to react to it? Mm -hmm. Yes, even at the Fringe, we don't have a post-show forum because it's, it's a conveyor belt of shows at the Fringe. There's no time for that. Um, but I did say even last night to the audience... Uh, if you want to ask anything about the play or you want to ask anything about AGAP, I'll be outside in 15 minutes. I can meet them at the, the bar next door, you know, and have a drink and chat about the themes in the play if people are interested. Um, but on the road with the play, I've always come out onto the stage and, and sat there. And, and I've said to people, you know, I'm not an expert in St. Augustine, uh, and that's not the purpose of this. The purpose of this is to facilitate a conversation, to allow you to share how the themes in the play have affected you, um, or uh, to allow you to to, exp to ask questions about why we do what we do. And, and it's been utterly remarkable and very, very humbling, the testimonies that I've heard. And also, um, I have to say, the play has been attended by people who are from different Christian denominations, and also those who are not church attendees at all and who are touched by it. And we've had everything from mothers and grandmothers' testimonies about praying for wayward children to stories of utter conversion, to stories of conversion from addiction, to, um, to people talking, you know, with tears in their eyes or actually coming up to me after the public forum and say, you know, sort of pulling me aside and saying, I didn't want to share publicly, but 
there's so much of my life that I've just seen played out in this play, and you, you've given us food for thought. Stephen, isn't the gospel such a powerful thing? Absolutely. <laughs> the gospel, the word of God, when, when the Holy Spirit takes, see, the gospel is just the gospel. It's just words on a page until the Holy Spirit makes it come alive to people. You know, and all of a sudden it comes alive and begins to talk to you, talk into your life. And I wonder if you're maybe listening to this today and we would love to get this two-way, three-way conversation going with you. And feel free to go on the chat line and comment on what you've been hearing. And I'm sure Stephen will be glad to, over the next few days, to be able to interact with you. Because if this has touched you, if somehow God's speaking to you and you're realizing Yes, you, your past can be forgiven. You can have a new start. The St. Paul says, if anyone be in Christ, they're a new creation. The old things are past, and all things can become new. And so I think from gathering and talking with you today, I think that's part of the, the message that you're wanting to really get out to people. Absolutely. Yep, there's always hope. And I wanted this play to... Um, instill new hope into people. That's what I want it to do. If it does one thing, I want people to come away from this play feeling hopeful. What a wonderful way to end this podcast because our theme this month in Sanctuary First is Habitats of Hope. And we are God's Habitats of Hope because He has placed His presence in our lives and so we carry that message of hope into the world. And Augustine speaks to us from the 4th century into the 21st century and says, the God who worked in my life in the 4th century can also work in your life in the 21st century. So a huge thank you to you, uh, Stephen, for coming and being with us and sharing in our podcast today. And thank you to you folks who have been listening in and uh, making your comments on the podcast. We would love to hear more of them and we would love to share with you. If you want to know more of our broadcasts that have been going out over the last few weeks, you can find them here at Sanctuary First, www.sanctuaryfirst.org.uk, or you can download our app, and uh, again, the Sanctuary First app, go to any, any of the, the stores where you can, you can download the app, or you can watch it on Facebook. And uh, again, to be part of our community, you're very welcome. So thank you for being part of this today. And uh, until next time, God bless. <laughs>